Does cybersecurity seem like a terrifying topic? Well, have no fear. This episode is sponsored by Roundtable Technology, the nonprofit IT partner. And for the seventh year in a row, they're offering a free webinar to teach you and your staff exactly the steps to make your IT more secure in the new year. Roundtable Technology is a managed IT and cybersecurity services organization focusing almost exclusively on the nonprofit sector with over 200 nonprofit clients. So make it your New Year's resolution to get your entire staff free cybersecurity awareness training. Head on over to nonprofitit.com forward slash best dash ever to save your seat now. And here's to a wonderful 2023. Hello, and welcome to Nonprofit Nation. I'm your host, Julia Campbell. And I'm going to sit down with nonprofit industry experts, fundraisers, marketers, and everyone in between to get real and discuss what it takes to build that movement that you've been dreaming of. I created the Nonprofit Nation podcast to share practical wisdom and strategies to help you confidently find your voice, definitively grow your audience, and effectively build your movement. If you're a nonprofit newbie or an experienced professional who's looking to get more visibility, reach more people, and create even more impact, then you're in the right place. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Nonprofit Nation with your host, Julia Campbell. Just really excited to have you here with us today. And instead of writing my own intro, I used artificial intelligence to write the intro because that's the topic of today's conversation. So here is the hook that Jasper came up with, um, and I will put all the links in the show notes. AI is one of the most important technologies of our time, and it's something that every nonprofit should be aware of. In this podcast, I'm going to show you how AI can help your nonprofit organization become more efficient and effective. And that's actually what we're going to talk about. So that's not that's not too bad. So my guest today is Joshua Pasquet. He is three CPO, and we'll talk about that, at Roundtable Technology. Thank you to Roundtable Technology. They're the sponsor of this episode as well. Joshua has spent the better part of three decades helping nonprofit organizations make better use of technology in support of their missions. So in addition to leading Roundtable's security team and providing virtual CIO services to numerous organizations, Joshua is a national leader in helping improve cybersecurity in the nonprofit sector. So that is pretty incredible. He works regularly with at-risk organizations to address digital security challenges, as well as presenting and teaching on topics such as nonprofit technology strategy, cybersecurity, project, and change management. And he also frequently collaborates with a potato, which I really want to discuss. Also, we will put Joshua's AI headshot from Lensa in the show notes because it is fantastic. And we were just saying beforehand, it's like Blue Steel, Blue Steel Joshua, which I love. So welcome to the podcast. So happy to have you here. So great to be here, Julia. Thank you so much for having me today. Yay. And I keep saying I am the only person I've said on the podcast before that Lensa AI, I just don't understand. They just don't get me. I've got to redo it because when I saw your 
selfie. It was really amazing. When I saw your headshot, I was like, oh man, I want to look like that. It is a very fun and very silly thing. Yeah. But it a lot so much depends on what selfies you pick from yourself. So So tell me about your role at Roundtable Technology, C3PO, and then also tell me about your collaboration with Potato. So the the 3CPO title actually comes from my my now colleague, uh, Shanna Uckard, who recently joined us. But a couple of years ago, we were kind of talking about our respective roles at our organizations. And she mentioned that she actually wanted the title 3CPO. And then I later asked her if I could actually steal it. It stands for that you're doing three different roles, a, a virtual CIO, which you mentioned, Chief Information Officer, a chief information security officer, often sometimes called a CISO, and then a chief program officer, meaning I'm doing a lot of the programming for Roundtable, like doing this podcast, doing lots of webinars, you know, workshops and, and courses and things like that. So the three C-suite roles is where the three C comes in, and then program officer is PO, so you get three CPO. And my old title used to be like VCIO slash cybersecurity, and no one really knew what that meant, and it required a big explanation. So I ultimately decided if I'm going to have a silly title that no one understands anyway, why not have it be also funny and have it be free CPO? So I, I owe it to Shanna, who allowed me to steal that, and uh, she's now my colleague and coworker at Roundtable, and we're delighted to have her. And as for the potato, yes. <laughs> um, so, tater uh, and long- stash. Tater I and stash. Yes. My longtime colleague, uh, Destiny Bowers, at the very beginning of the pandemic, when you know we were all you know virtual, she discovered the uh, the Snapcam you know filters that you could use and the, the the wonderful animated potato, and she showed up in one of our morning meetings as potato. Everybody was delighted by Destiny the Potato and basically said they only wanted to work going forward with Destiny the Potato. She she somehow is able to embody the spirit of a potato in a way that that really can't be explained unless you've seen her. I don't know, maybe a year later, you know, Destiny and I were doing uh, cybersecurity awareness training videos quite often and we were doing these short recordings, but they were kind of your normal boring like, you know, here's how to worry about MFA or things like this. And I thought, why don't we do a silly thing? And I came up with this idea, Tater and Stash, basically, because it rhymed with Benny, like, <laughs> basically, because I thought of the song, Benny the Jets, and I was like, to Tater and the Stash, that just sounds <laughs> funny to me. And uh, I asked our leadership if we could do like a pilot, a few pilot episodes as Tater and the Stash. And here we are two years later, still doing about an episode a month. That is so amazing. No, I love what it says on the website. Cybersecurity can be really boring. Destiny and Joshua, a.k.a. Tater and Stash, have worked very hard over the years to make cybersecurity awareness accessible and fun. This is their latest effort. So I'll definitely post, I think it's so funny, you already can see from the pictures, but I'll post it in the show notes if people want to take a look. But that's creative. Yeah, for those of you who don't know Destiny, like she is not only one of the greatest people that I've ever worked with, but I mean, absolutely the greatest potato I've ever worked with. (laughs) (laughs) And that's saying a lot. It really, yeah, it really is. So we're going to discuss one of the biggest trends in the sector, if not the world, artificial intelligence. So what is this? What is this issue? And also, for those of you that are kind of skeptical that this even applies to nonprofits, why is this an important issue for the sector? So I think to understand why AI is kind of such a big deal now if you don't realize why it is, I think I, it, it may seem like a tangent, but I want to go off on a little riddle, right? Sure. Which is AI yeah, is on a very exponential growth path and exponential growth as opposed to linear growth 
okay, linear growth is what we're all used to, where it's a kind of steady line going up and to the right that kind of you could put a ruler to. Okay, exponential growth is much more of a curved line, sometimes called a hockey stick, where it goes flat for a long time and then shoots very steeply upward. To understand this, let's think about this. Let's think of you and me and everybody that's listening to this podcast. We all live on a lake together. Okay, and it's May 31st, and the lake is completely empty, clean, pristine lake. We all live in different houses around it. And on June 1st, one lily pad is going to appear on the lake. And that lily pad is going to double every day for the month of June. So on June 2nd, you're going to have two lily pads. On June 3rd, you're going to have four lily pads. On June 4th, you're going to have eight lily pads. On June 5th, you're going to have 16 lily pads, and you can follow along from there. Now, on the 30th day, okay, the entire lake is going to be filled with lily pads. This is an old math riddle that you would give to kids, okay, around X month. About a growth. penny. I've heard this one. Yeah, and then exactly, penny the same one. And the question is, okay, if the 30th day it's full, what day is it half full, okay? And the answer to that is, of course, the 29th day. Because if they're doubling every day, right, on the 29th day it's half full, that doubles, and now the lake is completely full. So that one... While it catches a lot of people out, you know, that it's half full the day before it's completely full, if it's exponentially growing, that's how it must be. The much harder question, though, okay, is what's the first day that more than 1% of the lake is covered in lily pads? And if you kind of go with your intuition on that, you're probably going to land on something like the 10th or the 15th day, you know, maybe it'll be 1% covered. But actually, it's more than 1% of the lake isn't covered until all the way to the 24th day. At which point, by the way, I think there's there's something on the order of 3 million lily pads. Um, <laughs> I forget the exact number, but I mean, it's a huge number of lily pads. Actually, I think it's 8 million. And by the end, we get into um, half a billion lily pads on day 30. And so if you think of us living on this lake, all these people, right? These lily pads have been doubling for 23, 24 days. And most of us living on this lake, you mean everybody's listening to this, haven't even seen a single lily pad. But in five more days, the whole lake's going to be covered with them. So let's take this 30 days of June and apply it to 30 years. And let's take lily pads and replace it with AI. And what I'm going to suggest to you, Julia, and to everybody that's listening to this is we're at like day 24, day 25 right now. And we're starting to notice AI affecting our lives. We're starting to make selfies using AI. We're starting to use tools to write the intros to our podcast episodes. We're starting to write blog posts using it. We're hearing about it in the news. We're seeing new applications and services and companies being built with AI. And all of a sudden, everybody's seeing these lily pads and it's exponential growth. So I, what I'm suggesting is that this is going to explode from here forward. And if you're skeptical of that, that's okay. You know, we can absolutely disagree on that, but that's, that's my take. That's really a powerful way to think about it. It's kind of scary to think about it that way. If we think of lily pads taking over a lake, but I love that idea of how fast it's growing and how fast it will continue to grow. So what are some of the benefits for nonprofits, like why would we want to pay attention to this? Not just because it's something that's going to—that's something that is in our life, all of our lives, probably. But what are some of the ways we can use this? Where a lot of people's heads are at, mine included, is I think it's hard to talk about the benefits without feeling concern 
about the impact and the things that might happen that we're not excited about happening. And so I'll talk about both throughout and how people can try to think about it and how you can try to make sure, as we're all in the nonprofit sector, that we're using AI in a way that is as responsible as we can and trying to produce good and trying to avoid inadvertently producing bad, which unfortunately is extremely easy to do with AI systems in a whole variety of ways. So the simplest way to describe it is AI is a force multiplier of the likes of which most human beings have never had in their lifetime. So as one example, okay, a year ago for Roundtable to write, you know, a thousand word article on some cybersecurity or technology topic, it went like this. Our marketing person would say, Josh, I need an article for February. I'd ideally like it to be on one of these three topics. Can you do that? I'd say, sure. Give me two weeks. I'll get you a draft. You can review it. I spent four hours one morning writing a draft, like a half day, give it back. And we'd crank out maybe an article a month. And it would take me four hours of my time a month, take our marketing person an hour of his time a month. So five hours of human labor and four hours of my time. We got Jasper AI probably in March or April of 2022 and started using it. And uh, our marketing person now and since can put out 8, 12 articles a month that I would say are as good. You know, some of them are maybe a little less good. Some of them arguably better than some of the stuff that I wrote. And the process is he generates titles that seem to match well with SEO, which the AI is helping him determine. The AI creates titles that it thinks will do well on an SEO basis and that are topics that are trending. He sends me a list of these topics, says, which ones do you like best? I say, I like these two. He comes back to me maybe a few hours later with like three articles (laughs) that he's written using this AI tool that are each a thousand words. I take 15 minutes to review them, make some edits, make sure there's nothing that's totally inaccurate or horrible and say, go ahead. And those get published. And so if you do the math on that, right, like eight articles a month in a couple of hours of time and then 15 minutes of my time right? I mean, we're operating at 10x, 100x what we were before. So it's it's a force multiplier in a massive way. And that's what we'll, we can get into it more, but that's probably the number one way. Yeah, it, it can allow you to create content and produce output at a scale and pace and quality, quite frankly, that, that I think was just took huge amounts of effort before. So what are some of the pitfalls and the perils, if you will, that we want to avoid when using some of these technologies? Oh, actually, before I ask that question, maybe we could all be wrapped into one. What are some other ways that people are using these technologies? Because we've heard a lot about, you know, chat GPT and Jasper and things for copywriting. But what are some other ways maybe that that we can use it? And then what are some of the pitfalls that we don't want to fall into? So let's talk about the kind of immediate, the things you could go and start doing today, the things you could do in a few weeks or in a few months if you started working on it, and the things that, you know, are probably we have to see how it kind of pans out, right, and and when it will be accessible. So the Jasper.ai and a lot of the the image generation tools that you've seen, all right, are a class of, of AI tools referred to as generative AI. 
okay, and that they generate content from prompts given them given to them by humans. So what we have at a very high level of quality and maturity right now are generative AI tools that can produce text and can produce images. So we've got ChatGPT, which I think a lot of people have have played with and encountered, that can generate really quite incredible quality text. It's amazing. In ways that are are frankly, you know, we there, there's been this argument like when will AI surpass human intelligence and things. And there's a very reasonable case to be made that that ChatGPT is already significantly better than humans and a lot of things, right? If I if if we gave everybody in the audience 15 minutes to write a thousand word essay on 19th century agricultural trends in the style of the King James Bible. And make it a musical. And make it a musical. Sure. Yeah. ChatGPT would, would destroy all of us, right? It could do that a hundred times in 15 minutes. None of us would even get through probably a hundred words, right? So on, on certain things, it's already way better than us. The image generation tools, such as Midjourney, um, Lenso, which we talked about, Dolly, Stable Diffusion are, are kind of the, the big three are, are Dolly, Midjourney, Stable Diffusion, but there's, there's lots of other ones out there. They, again, if we asked everybody in the audience, you know, draw me a photorealistic image of Darth Vader, you know, riding on a dachshund through a field of sunflowers with the faces of famous female world leaders, right? Uh, where the flower would be. Again, give everybody 15 minutes to do that. And, you know, any one of these image generation tools are going to absolutely destroy us. They're going to give us beautiful, wonderful images. So in certain respects, just like AI is better at chess than any human being, it's better at Go than any human being. You know, Ken Jennings and all the Jeopardy champions, I think back in that was quite a while ago, 2011 or something. I forget how long ago that was. They're getting better at human beings in things that we consider more artistic and more human, like writing, being funny, even creating beautiful images. And we'll start to see, I think quite soon based, you know, follow this exponential growth that we talked about, right? Music, videos, you know, scripts. I don't see any reason why the AI isn't going to get significantly better at all of us at doing all these things pretty quickly. So, so that, that generative AI is one class of, of AI tools. Some scripts feel like they've been written by a robot. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, see, so then now I actually have a second question that I think leads into the pitfall question. Should we be worried about this as creative people? I mean, I'm a creative person. I write, I blog, I podcast, I speak, I write books. What should the concern be for people that do this? Like even marketing professionals, fundraising copywriters, should we be worried that we're all going to become obsolete? The short answer to that is probably yes. And the question, I guess, is does worrying about it help at all? You know, it's either going to happen or it's not. I would say that, that, that people tend to fall into a couple of camps. I personally don't fall in any camp because I, I don't have any idea what's going to happen. And I'm, I'm quite candid about that. 
The end of, of human labor has been predicted countless times over the centuries of technological progress, going back to steam engines or plows or the use of horses or, you know, any other technological invention. And yet labor persists. So we, we always seem to find something new to do that provides new value. There's a, a writer that many of your audience may have heard. Yuval Noah Harari wrote Sapiens and Homo Deus. And he, I think, coined the term like useless class, which he sees as coming like a large swaths of the population that really don't have anything of value to add to the economy because there's nothing they can do better than robots or AI systems. And he sees that coming at some point. And people have been predicting that for some time. I certainly am not going to sit here and make a prediction about that. But I would say that the two camps are people who say we keep People have said that forever, and we keep finding other things to do. So this idea that humans are going to become obsolete has been proven false time and time again. We just don't know what it'll be. You and I are both engaged in jobs that not only didn't exist when we were in you know, primary school, but didn't exist like 10 or 15 years ago. So what jobs someone will do in 10 years is impossible to predict given the rate of change. So that's one camp that will be fine. There'll always be things for humans to do. And the other camp, I think, is the Yuval Noah Harari camp, which is that there will be this useless class. And we have to, and that's where you hear people talking about universal basic income and a need to kind of create economic stability for huge swaths of the population. I honestly can't say. What I'm doing for myself is saying that in the meantime, and this is what I would say to you, Julie, and anyone listening, we are all in different degrees in collaboration and in competition with one another right? For resources, for jobs, for donations, for attention of, of constituents. If you're using these tools right now, you are just at a monstrous advantage. You're, you're racing someone and you're driving a Ferrari and they're driving a go-kart if you're using these tools and they're not. And flip it on its head, if you're not using these tools and the people that you're in some competition with or collaborating with are using these tools, you're going to be falling behind very quickly, in my view. So I'm attempting to use them um, in as responsible ways as I can. And I love the use of the word tools because a lot of what I've been reading and listening to in the field of AI and especially in the creative field or, you know, creator field is that it should be looked at as a tool and how you wield it is incredibly important and who wields it and the purpose for which you wield it are all incredibly important. So it can't be looked at in a vacuum as something that's going to take over the world. It needs to be looked at as how are we leveraging it? How are we learning about it? How are we using it to do our jobs better until maybe, like you said, our jobs evolve and change? I'm 50 years old, full disclosure. At the risk of sounding hyperbolic, I've thought for some time, going back probably at least a decade or more, that artificial intelligence will be the single most important technological innovation in the history of the human species that has the potential to, you know, completely upend, you know, life as we know it, and also has the, and probably will one way or another, but also has the potential to improve the world and our lives in, in ways that are not really imaginable to us right now. And I absolutely realize that may sound incredibly hyperbolic to a lot of people listening, but I, I do really believe that that's true, whether it's in five years or 10 years or, or whenever. It, the intelligence is 
the thing that differentiates us, you know, our intelligence, our ability to work together, our ability to, you know, collaborate and produce amazing things is the difference between the human species and every other species on the planet. And the ability to create something that is not just somewhat more intelligent than us, because, you know, it's not like the AI gets more intelligent and then stops. It just, again, follow the exponential growth, right? It passes us at some point and then quickly is exponentially smarter than us and better than us as things. As described again, by the writing from ChatGPT, the examples I gave, the, the image examples. So imagine when that's just true of everything. Like I want to put up a building and the AI can put up 20 buildings in 15 minutes. You know, it's hard for us, I think, to imagine right now the impact this could have. So when I first discovered chat GPT, so if you do not know what that is, Google it immediately, (laughs) start playing around with it, read news articles about it. My husband, of course, he's always more like he's always more technologically forward than me. So he started playing with it right the day that it was released or to the public. And I thought, oh, is this just, it's sort of like how people thought about social media. I thought, oh, like, this is stupid. Like, what can people use this for other than making up lyrics to songs about, you know, this and that? Or it's sort of like how people thought Instagram was just going to be used to take pictures of your lunch. And now we know, you know, it's being used for so much more. So I played around with it and I actually used it to write fundraising appeals. So it can be used for that. But what I loved about it was that it provided a framework that I could then expand onto. So for me, I don't think I would ever use it to fully write a blog post, but I could certainly see it helping me frame out the points and pick out some of the most important things to maybe expound upon and then put my personality on it. Is that what you've been seeing? I think I would see everything, but I think what the use you're describing, I think is a phenomenal use of it and something that I you know started doing right away. You know, we've been using Jasper, which has chat GPT like capabilities, you know, for almost a year now. And chat GPT is better at certain things. But what I find is I would describe it as like it, it removes a huge amount of cognitive load for me. Because anytime I need to create some text, whether it's write an email, write a thank you note to somebody, write a sympathy note to somebody, it's like, you know, whatever you think about me starting, you know, with, you know, a chat bot or a AI writer to do that, it just saves me the the terror of the blank page. And I can just give a prompt and say, write me a sympathy note for a dear friend who just lost a parent. And it produces an absolutely lovely, thoughtful sentiment that, um, to your point, I can copy, paste in, personalize for myself, make sure everything in there is totally appropriate, and then send. And to your point, yeah, the, the cutting into the irresponsible use of AI, and this is, I think, where we can segue to that, is um, if you don't read these things carefully and pay attention to it, the AI can be wrong factually. You don't know how it got to its information. It will make up information that is false with every bit of the same confidence as it provides information that is true. And we can't tell the difference unless you're an expert in whatever it is it's talking about. Um, ChatGPT, in, in, in fact, will get plain math problems wrong, which gets into the how it works, that it's a language model, not a math model. So you might think, how can this thing be dumber than a calculator? But it is. If you ask it like 99 times you know, 17, I think often it will actually get that quite wrong. So you have to check these things and you have to not just put in a prompt, spit out 500 words, copy and paste it into a blog post, put it online. 
and never pay attention to it again. Because if that people read that and assume it's true and assume it's what you, Julia Campbell, meant to say, that could get you in a lot of trouble. That could produce effects that were not at all what you were trying to do. How can we use these these tools on a shoestring budget? Like you're maybe you are a department of one, you are an organization of one, and you're just looking to kind of dip your toe in. Um, and then you can go into maybe some of your favorite tools that you use. Sure. I mean, this is the best news I could possibly have for your audience is that the vast majority of these tools are free or incredibly inexpensive. So, you know, chat GPT for now is free and you are absolutely encouraged to use it. Um, Dolly, D-A-L-L hyphen E, the image generator is free for up to a certain number of images per month. Stable Diffusion, which is an image generator model that you actually run on your own computer is completely free and open source. Midjourney is free for up to a certain number of images a month. And then I think it's a walloping $10 a month if you, you know, want to have unlimited uh, ability to generate images. Jasper, what we pay for, I think has a plan that's, you know, $19, $29 a month. They have free trials. Other tools we might get into like chatbot tools where you can create custom chatbots for your organization's website or um, as a WhatsApp or as a text you know, there are incredibly powerful chatbots that you can create to lead people towards certain conversions or interact or provide answers or provide support. And these tools are also, you know, range from free to 10 to $20 a month. And the most expensive I've seen, you know, gets to like $100 a month for, for extremely high level functionality. These tools are, are incredibly inexpensive right now. And I use all of these things and I am not a coder. You know, I could not code my way out of a paper bag unless I was using these tools to create that code, which I now could. <laughs> um, and, and yet, yeah. And yet I'm, I'm able to use all these tools incredibly effectively, you know, and certainly I'm tech savvy. I won't deny that, but you know, it's, you do not need to be a coder to, to use these things at all. And we were talking before about how I, I had heard that Microsoft is incorporating some of these tools into their suite. Can you talk more about that? I know a lot of nonprofits use Microsoft. Sure. Yeah. And, and, and it's kind of interesting, like, uh, I don't want to get too deep into this, but like Google's in a little bit of a conundrum at the moment, because uh, it's a wonderful book, if you want to read it, called The Innovator's Dilemma by a fellow named Christian uh, Clayton. I'm, I'm sorry, Clayton Christensen, <laughs> who uh, passed away a while ago. Um, but Google's kind of stuck in that right now and has to do with that. You know, certain, they, they've had these AIs that are very powerful. They've been way ahead on the AI, in fact, in many respects. But so much of their revenue comes from AdWords that it's not, you know, if you think about how ChatGPT works, Where's the ad? <laughs> There's no ad to generate revenue there. So Google has this problem. They start releasing these tools. They're undercutting their own revenue. And this is the, the nature of the innovator's dilemma that he talks about, which is you have companies that are in the lead and are going to be disrupted unless they disrupt themselves. But it's very hard to disrupt your own revenue with some other innovation. So what happened is Microsoft in 2019 invested a billion dollars in a company called OpenAI, which at that time was a nonprofit organization. It's now gone private. OpenAI is the company that made, um, that makes GPT, which I forget what, it, I always forget what it stands for. It's generative something transformer. Anyway, but it's a, it's, it's a model. It's like a language neural network that 
just consumes huge amounts of language. And then, um, and that's what's behind chat GPT. That's what's behind Jasper. Jasper is using what's called GPT-3, which is OpenAI's tool that they release as, a, as an API for companies to use. GPT-4, by the way, which is going to be, by most accounts, orders of magnitude better than GPT-3, which is what created the title for the show today and the introduction, is coming out sometime this year. And, you know, going back to the lily pad thing, that's going to be another exponential leap, probably, in the advancement of these things. So Microsoft invested a billion in OpenAI. Sorry, I've gone off the tangent there. And they just invested another $10 billion, but as part of that billion-dollar investment, they have rights to some of the OpenAI tools and have a partnership with OpenAI. And they are integrating ChatGPT into the Bing. Yes, the Bing search engine. How many people have heard of Bing lately? Well, Bing might be the new Google a year from now, and we might be binging things instead of Googling things, things. which is kind of a shocking idea to think about. And we might have little Bings in our house instead of Google Homes, which I have. Yeah, we might have like a Bing smart speaker. I might be like, hey, Bing, what's the weather today? And it makes me just think of friends. I can't. <laughs> a Bing. <laughs> a Bing, yeah. And Microsoft is also going to incorporate ChatGPT into Microsoft Word, into PowerPoint and other tools. And, and again, there are already generative AI tools that will generate slide decks for you. There's, there's at least five or six that I know of right now. Yes. I love the PowerPoint tool that zhuzhes your slides. Yeah. So imagine, you know, basically you say, I just want a 16 page slide deck on this topic with, you know, this style. And like two seconds later, it's basically like 90% done. My life would be easier. Yes. Yeah. And so that's going to really give Microsoft a leg up. And, and, and Google, I don't know, you know, there's this whole news article, I, I don't know how true it is, but that Google declared a quote unquote code red, which is really bad branding, given what I remember code red as from a few good men. It's like not a term you'd want to be throwing around in your organization, but basically they declared an emergency um, that, that they view disruption on the horizon. And they've been really, you know, almost totally dominant in search for nearly 20 years now. And so that's, that's a huge disruption to the world. You know, the idea that Googling something would be an antiquated idea for, you know, a teenager five years from now. <laughs> you know, they'd be like, Google what? Like, and that's possible. I'm not saying it's going to happen, but it's, you know, this is in, I cannot overstate how disruptive a technology this is. Well, I think of TikTok, you know, my daughter doesn't Google stuff. My teenage daughter, she goes on TikTok. That's her, pl- or YouTube. Those are her discovery platforms. And I owe this to um, a podcast called Hard Fork. I love that podcast. Yes. You know it. Okay. So you may have heard this conversation. So Casey Newton, I think, and Kevin Roos, I, I hope I'm remembering their names right, um, are two technology journalists that talk about it. And one of them said this, I'll paraphrase it, but that, you know, we think of um, you and I, um, I don't know, you know, uh, I assume you're, you're younger than me, but might maybe remember like making a mixtape, right? Which is yes, like... Yes, I remember mixtapes. I wish I had my coffee mug that has mixtapes on it. There you go. So a human curating human music, right, for another human. Okay. And then now we have, you know, TikTok, which is an AI, an algorithm, curating human-generated content for humans. But what does an AI dynamically generating content for a human look like when Julia goes on to TikTok and it's not presenting Julia 
videos created by humans that it's curating for you based on what you seem to like. It's actually dynamically generating video content for you and then continuing to iterate the kind of content it generates for you based on what feedback you, Julia, give it. So now Julia has a never-ending mixtape of music that never existed before being generated for you endlessly. That's like not crazy science fiction going to happen someday. That's like happening now. If you think about Spotify or even the YouTube algorithm where you listen to music and then it continually tries to show you more music that you might like, I enjoy that. I like discovering new things, but you're talking about it creating something completely new just for you. As if we couldn't get more narcissistic in our society. <laughs> well, and also, and, and then we get into the ethics of what does that look like when, right? Because we've seen what happens to the world when people get off into their own information bubbles and their own confirmation biases and are able to simply perpetuate that, right, through algorithmic decisions. So when the content that is actually created is, is algorithmically determined and giving you more and more of what you want and less and less of what you don't, we all, in effect, live in worlds of our own imagining and how we relate to each other. And that's where you get into, you know, the analogy I, I put up a post the other day on LinkedIn called the alignment problem and how I view that as kind of the most existential problem we have, which is, did you see Fantasia, the Disney movie Fantasia with the Sorcerer's Apprentice? So that's the easiest way to think of an alignment problem is, you know, Mickey Mouse, the Sorcerer's Apprentice. By the way, that story goes all the way back to like 1797. It was a Goethe poem, I think, the Sorcerer's Apprentice. So this idea of like alignment problems goes back, you know, to, to all the way that far. But so, you know, Mickey uses magic. We can think of magic and AI as indistinguishable, right? Um, to the broomstick to start carrying water for him. And the broomstick then carries too much water, so he smashes it and it won't stop. That's the alignment problem, right? You know, Mickey said, you know, your objective function is to carry water. And there were no parameters. There was no anything else. So it didn't, didn't say don't flood the entire castle. Don't stop when you get to this thing. It just objective function, which is a term in AI, right? Um, in machine learning. Uh, it's filled with things. So then even when he smashes up the broomstick, all that does is create this exponential problem because now he's got a thousand. Because now there's a million broomsticks. Yeah. And they're all carrying water. So that's an alignment problem, right? Where you, you create an objective function, like give Julia all the content she wants all the time and just keep giving her content based on the feedback she gives. And I don't give it any parameters. Like, you know, don't give Julia information that's false. Don't give Julia information that's hateful. Don't give Julia information that will reinforce systemic biases, you know, against certain groups. Just give her what she wants over and over and over again and keep giving her more of it. And going back to like why nonprofits should care about this now, I would say that as a sector, right, we have a chance and I think a responsibility, I would argue, to learn these things and to use these things these tools that are the most powerful tools that humans will have ever encountered, and I'm including nuclear energy in that, and really focus on how can we ensure that we're using them for good. Because I will tell you, as we've seen, the for-profit companies, they're not necessarily trying to do bad, 
but they're not particularly concerned with the negative second and third order effects that their decisions have on society. We are. And going back to, you know, if we're riding in go-karts and they're riding in Ferraris, we're, we're not going to compete very well in that race. But we're a huge sector. You know, we employ somewhere between one-fourth and one-fifth of all the people in the United States. That's a lot of people that can create a lot of impact. Wow. I could talk about this for hours. I'll have to have you back on the podcast. I was just, it's just my brain is spinning with all the possibilities. A book uh, for my listeners, I really recommend The Smart Nonprofit, Staying Human-Centered in an Automated World by Beth Cantor and Allison Fine. I also had them on the podcast. And they're fantastic people. And yeah, we're way ahead of us, by the way. Yeah, totally ahead of us. That book came out. I was just trying to find out when that book came out, but I had them on, they were um, my first guest on the podcast. Great for them and great for you. That's, that's a perfect, uh, I'm honored to, to follow, you know, shoulders of giants and all that, you know, I'm, I'm honored to, uh, to follow behind them. Yeah. 2022, March of 2022, but that means they were probably writing it in 2019. So where can people work with you, work with Roundtable Technology and find out more about you, Joshua? Uh, yeah, well, that's really easy. You know, roundtabletechnology.com, just like it sounds. And the big thing I want to mention is, uh, I don't know if this will come out before January. It should come out the day before the webinar. The day before. Okay. So assuming that this comes out on Wednesday, January 25th, if you're listening to it either that day or the next morning at 2 p.m. Eastern or 11 uh, Pacific, we have our best free one-hour cybersecurity awareness training ever, our seventh annual, because every year it's better than the previous year, so it's still the best one ever. It's free. We actually give out a fair amount of money. There's hundreds of dollars in prizes that you can win. We try to make it a lot of fun. There will almost certainly be a potato involved, and we'd love to see you there to learn more about cybersecurity. It's nonprofitit.com forward slash best dash ever. And I will be putting that link in the show notes. I'll be putting that link in the email. So I encourage all of you to sign up. It's free, win some prizes, see a potato, learn about cybersecurity, ask all of your burning questions. I think it's going to be a really good time. So this has been absolutely fascinating. This topic is just something that is just going to continue to grow and continue to build. So I would love to, I'd love to have you back to see where we are even in like six months. Sure. I'd love to be back. This was absolutely fantastic, Julia. Thank you so much for having me today. And thanks for the work you do. Well, hey there. I wanted to say thank you for tuning into my show and for listening all the way to the end. If you really enjoyed today's conversation, make sure to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app, and you'll get new episodes downloaded as soon as they come out. I would love if you left me a rating or a review because this tells other people that my podcast is worth listening to. And then me and my guests can reach even more earbuds and create even more impact. So that's pretty much it. I'll be back soon with a brand new episode. But until then, you can find me on Instagram at juliacampbell77. Keep changing the world, you nonprofit unicorn. Thank you.